So a month ago, I, I preached a message called Belonging, right? We talked about belonging. And today, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be doing part two of that uh, series. So it's a little mini-series. I didn't get a chance to finish it then. So I'm going to finish it today. And what I covered, just a quick recap, if you didn't hear that message, I would encourage you to go listen to it online. We have all those messages available. Uh, but for, for those of you who did hear it, you just kind of forget to refresh your memory. Uh, what I talked about there was Christians call to love. And I talked about how we are called to love at a level that's supposed to be so extraordinary, so different, that it was to be the big sign to the unbeliever that we were actually followers of Jesus. So I went in and I talked about how, right, how we do that in action, belonging, right, when we create belonging with others, that's actually love in action. And we looked at two ways in which we do that. We do it through uh, creating belonging. We show love by being all-inclusive, right? We're not exclusive, right? We're inclusive. We, we want to sh- love our neighbors as ourselves. We want to show people that they are welcome here. They're welcome with us, right? And we can do that sort of thing. And the other thing I looked at was we want to fulfill Jesus' command, and that was to also love our enemies. And that was really the more difficult calling, wasn't it? Right? That's where things get really difficult. And I talked about how belonging makes room for weakness, and how we need to make room for weakness with one another. And, I mean, it is true in our day and age, the kind of enemies that we face may not be the same as they were in Jesus' time as, as the enemies are that many Christians in the world are facing right now, where they're actually, you know, fighting for their lives. Uh, our enemies aren't like that. But that whole principle of, you know, making room for weakness actually applies to all of us because we all handle, you know, we all deal with relational pain and difficulties and that sort of thing. So it actually applies to all of us. So what I looked at the month ago or the, the, the message before, part one, was what a Christian's life is supposed to look like, right? These are the things we're supposed to be known for. So today what we're going to do is we're going to take a step backwards from that and we're going to look at what empowers believers to be able to love at this level that's so much greater than the unbeliever is supposed to be able to do, right? Because loving your neighbor as yourself and then loving your enemies was supposed to be something that Christians do better than anyone. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So just bow your heads and uh, I'll pray, and then we're going to start with it right away. Jesus, I just want to thank you that you have created a place for us to belong. It doesn't matter what color our skin is, where we were born. It doesn't matter our height or our weight or our income level. None of those things actually matter. You have created a place for everyone to belong. Thank you for that, Jesus. And today, Lord, I just, I mean, my cry and my prayer this week has been that we would learn to attach to you in such a way where we would actually be able to fulfill this command that you gave us to go out and love our neighbors and love our enemies as ourselves. God, the cry of my heart would be that everyone in Southland, that we would be a church that is known for loving through all, all circumstances. God, that we would stand out as different from the rest of the world. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what is it that enables believers to love at this higher level, right, this high calling? Now, to answer this, what we're going to look at is we're just going to take a little step and look at how did God create us, right? Because if he created us to be able to do something that's so amazing, I mean, what you won't be too surprised is, is and this is what we've been learning in my last bunch of messages, is he's created us to actually operate in line with his commands, And that's something that has really excited me. The more I learn about how our brain functions and about how he created us, the more I learn that he actually created us to operate in the context of following his commands in Scripture, which is quite fascinating. And this this area of being able to love at this high level is no different. Okay? So, you know, if I would ask everyone here, who here would like to love and be able to receive love at the highest level? 
I mean, how many of you would like to love and be able to receive love at the highest level? Okay, so most everyone here has raised your hand. And probably 99% of people in here would say yes to that. Now, there might be a few that are wounded and that sort of thing, and they say, I don't care for things like love. But that's, that's, the, that's because of trauma and things like that, right? But most of us, we want to feel love. We want to experience love. We want to be able to give love to others, right? It's not just that it's in Scripture. It's just something we instinctively know, okay? So we don't protect ourselves. When someone tries to love me, I don't protect myself from that. I say, hey, let, love on me. I love that. I love it when you encourage me when you love on me and that sort of thing. Now, on the flip side, though, if I would ask you how many people in here want to experience rejection, abandonment, and loss at the highest level? Not a lot of hands going up. Why is that? Right? Why, like, why is that? It's human nature, right, to try to avoid things that cause us pain, isn't it? It's human nature, right? If something causes me to suffer, I'm going to do one of three things. I'm going to, I'm going to fight, I'm going to flight, I'm going to run, or I'm going to freeze, right? Those are the kind of those three responses that we have to feeling pain, right? You know, if I touch something, and I've used example example before, but it holds true here again. If I touch something that is hot, I don't have to go through this big, long, you know, thought process on, you know, this is really burning me. I should probably pull back. Well, should I really pull back? Is it better for me to pull back? It, it, you don't think about things like that, do you? When you experience pain, your initial response is just to pull away. You want to automatically protect yourself from being hurt further, right? And this is precisely the problem when we're looking at, you know, why it is that, that Christians are able to love at a higher level, and I'll get onto that in a moment, right? So, on the one side, you know, if someone shows us love, we're totally open to being loved. On the other side, right, where we feel pain, we either fight, we run, we flight, or we freeze. Okay, so our ability to experience good emotions such as love and joy, and this is where it gets really fascinated, it's tied directly to our ability to experience difficult and painful emotions such as rejection, abandonment, and loss. Right? This is how God created us. Our love is limited by our ability to suffer. Interesting, and I'm going to explain that in just a moment, okay? 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, right? And that whole thing, love bearing all things, love and suffering partnered together, it's actually in your DNA. It's how God created you to function, right? It's how God created us to function, Right? So we'll look at a diagram here, and I'm just going to show you. I just want you to have a picture so you kind of get an understanding of what I'm getting at here. Okay? You'll see this is, imagine this, this diagram represents your brain in giving and receiving emotionally. Right? You'll notice that positive emotions and, and painful emotions, they're all grouped in the same part of your brain, in the amygdala. Okay? So this is how it works. When someone shows me love, okay? so they show me love at a very high level. Okay? So if you'd count those dots, it'd be at a level 8. I'm not going to do anything to protect myself from being loved, am I? Because it feels good. Instinctively, I don't have to do anything to protect myself from being loved. So the result of that is, because giving and receiving are in the same area of my brain, right? Because I can receive that love, I can give that same equal amount of love. Does that make sense? So if I receive a love at, you know, level 8, I can go ahead and give love at a level 8. That's how it works. Okay, that's how it works. We allow ourselves to do this. So if someone, you know, comes up to me, they're kind to me, they buy me a coffee, right? McDonald's with one cream, if you're ever thinking about it, right? <laughs> Just kidding. But they give me a coffee. It's not like I, I right away, as I'm holding back, right? I mean, some people think, well, I, I kind of hold back. That might be because of woundedness, but that's not normal. Our natural response is someone gives me a coffee is to smile back and say thank you. It feel, it's natural, 
right? It's because giving and receiving is, is in the same area. And this is precisely why Jesus said, if you love only those who, are, are, who love you or are kind only to those who give you kindness in return, he said, what good is that? How are you different from anyone else in the world? Right now, like I said this in the first belonging message, he's not saying that that kind of love is bad or that it's cheap. He's not saying that. Love is love. We're supposed to love in all circumstances. It's not as though now I shouldn't reciprocate kindness with kindness. That's not what he's getting at. But what he's saying is that doesn't take anything special to be able to do that. You instinctively want to love those who love you. That's easy is what he's saying, right? It's not, so, so yeah, so Jesus raised the bar for believers, and we talked about this in the, the previous message. I said that he called us to love our neighbors, and he modeled, modeled that for us with the uh, story of the Good Samaritan. And I just love that story of the Good Samaritan because the good, he, he's put out. He's busy. He's on his way doing business, and he stops. He takes time aside. He gives his time. He gives his finances. He shows his love to his neighbor, even though he has no idea who he is. So that's the model we're given about us loving our neighbors as ourselves. And then Jesus goes and he raises the bar even further yet. And he says, you are to love your enemies. So looking again at the chart, I'm going to show you why this gets so difficult. So when we suffer and feel pain, such as, you know, the pain that comes from getting abused, that no one should have to suffer with, but people do. That's the world we live in. When you feel that pain, that rejection, the abandonment, shame, loss, humiliation, right? All of these kinds of terrible things, you know, we're, we're limited in how much we can actually handle based on something called capacity. And I talked about that in a message back in July, our capacity to handle emotional duress. Okay, so that whatever our capacity level is, we're all limited in how much of that pain we can handle before we shut down. So this is what happens. So let's say someone that's close to me rejects me. It hurts. So what do I naturally do? I naturally want to fight, flight, or freeze. I put up a wall. Right? So let's say I put up a wall to that rejection. The dot will come on here in a moment here. There we go. Okay? So that's the wall I'm putting up. I'm saying I will only allow myself to feel this pain because it hurts so badly at a level two. I'm not going to let it any further than that right? without shutting down completely. And, and we're doing this. These are good safeguards that God created in us to keep us from getting traumatized further. Okay? So we do this, and these walls can be all sorts of different things, can't they? They can be angry. You know, an angry response, that's a wall. To protect myself from getting hurt, I'm going to take control of the situation by getting upset. It can be holding on to offense. It can be running away, avoidance. Minimize what they did to me so it doesn't seem so bad. All of these techniques that we do, they're just different, different terms for the same thing that we're doing in our mind. We're putting up a wall saying, I'm not going to let anyone go past this point and hurt me further. Okay, so this is there. It's actually a good thing. But what happens is the wall that's there to protect us from actually hurting it puts on the flip side a limiter on how much love we can actually give and receive as well. Right? So on the flip side there, you'll see now that's at a level two. Whatever level I, I, I guard myself, so if I'm going to say, you can't hurt me past a level two, I can't now show you love past a level two either. And therein lies the problem that we have, right? which, which is why it's such a, a massive call when Jesus says, you are to love your enemies, bless those who persecute you, you know, pray for those who persecute you, bless those who curse you, right? That's why it's such a big call, because we actually have to go against the way that we were programmed from the factory, right? We have to be able to stand against that response to fight, flight, or freeze, right? If you, you know, if we go back to, um, I gave an, an example in that last message of me and Louise and how I had been overwhelming her because I'd been angry about something, not even at her, 
But just by, I was so intense in my sharing, I was actually overwhelming her, and it caused her to get upset at me. Now, right there, that's a great example of, of what happens here. Had I, this, and, and by the way, I have very few, because you might have heard that example and thought, wow, Stephanie, you're an amazing husband. And, I mean, my wife would agree with you on that. But, uh, <laughs> but I've grown to be this better husband in the last, you know, month or so. <laughs> I didn't want to tell you all the stories about when I handled this wrong. She actually reminded me of it just, just actually this week while I was doing message prep, and she was just saying, you know, your responses have changed. Because we were appreciating each other. It's, good, it's a good way to grow your marriage, just by sharing, sharing what you love about each other. And one of the things I was sharing with her is how much she's grown in the last six months, in the last year. It's phenomenal. And I'm looking at all these things that I'm learning about the brain and how we're created, and I'm saying, so many of the things you're doing and, and the changes you're making are impossible. And I love that. It shows your, how you're chasing after God and that sort of thing. And then she kind of started chuckling. I'm like, why are you laughing? Well, she's like, it's, it's helped because your responses have changed. I wasn't always giving her good responses. My responses were holding her back because instead of showing her love when she was having a, an area of weakness, the same way that she used to always do for me and still does, I was actually putting up a wall because I was getting hurt. And I'm like, ah, I don't like the way that feels. Right? But that example I gave in, that, you know, in the previous message was a great example of how this works. Because I didn't allow myself to get offended when she was, you know, getting upset that I was so, you know, overwhelming her, I was then able to come back, apologize, and show her love, which is exactly the thing that was needed to defuse the situation. So you can see how this whole thing plays out, right? When I defend myself, I keep myself from receiving love from her. I also limit myself in my ability to show her love on the other side, right? So it works both ways. You know, I've met with people who were abused horrifically in their childhood, and I mean, the sad part about that is, you know, I've met with way too many people like that. There's so much of that stuff in our society, and even here in Steinbeck, in our bubble, it's just everywhere. And, you know, when you're a child and you're abused by the very people that are supposed to protect you, you put up walls, and it's understandably so. So I'm not saying that all these walls we put up are sinful because you're rebellious. God made us so that we have that spot that gives and receives emotionally. He made us with that amygdala and designed it in such a way that if we're receiving pain that's beyond our ability to endure, it shuts down. It does that for a reason, to, to protect you. So it's good. And I've seen people like this where they had to shut down as a child to protect themselves from getting traumatized even worse than, than what was already happening to them. But what happens is later on, if that never gets changed, if, that never, if they never get healing, later on they're struggling relationally. Their marriages are, are terrible or they're struggling in their marriage. They don't know why they can't love. They can't show love to their spouse. They can't receive anything from their spouse. You know, I talk to them about how their relationship with God is going, and so often I get the answer, it's not very, like, it's not good. I don't, I don't feel a connection to Him. Why is that? It's because of what we're talking about here. You put up a wall to protect yourself from being hurt. You prevent yourself from the very love that you need to transform. And that's why if we stay like that, it's, it's bad for us. Right? Matthew 16, 24 to 25 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Here you see that, that you know, those conflicting ideas again, right? If you want to truly live, you have to be willing to die. It's the same here. You want to truly love, you have to be willing to stand in suffering. This is a principle we find throughout Scripture. This is how God works. Romans 12, 19 and 21 says, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
And we put up walls to protect ourselves with anger and offense and bitterness, or we just run and try to minimize or avoid. We actually cannot, be, we cannot overcome evil with good. We are actually overcome by that evil. We're overcome by that evil. So, you know, we look at this, and, and, and I'm talking about how this is programmed in us. Right? This is how your brain functions. And I'll, I'll add, the level, this, this level, the amygdala, it, it operates at your subconscious level. So it's not like you have conscious control over this where you can just say, oh, I'm just going to show love back and it's going to be all good. It doesn't work that way. You're either going to fight, you're going to flight, or you're, going, or you're going to freeze. That's how we handle it. As soon as you get over your capacity, you're going to do one of those things. So how do we overcome? How do we overcome to be able to love the way Jesus commands? How do we get there? And the answer is, the simple answer is, we can't. I can't. Not on our own anyways. At least not on our own. You see, God never designed us or you or me to be able to handle pain on our own. We weren't made that way. He didn't make anybody with a high enough capacity to handle all the evil and suffering in this world. Nobody. He didn't make anyone in and of themselves to handle rejection with some of their closest relationships like their, like their spouse. Nobody's strong enough to stand in that without shutting down and getting hurt. Nobody's strong enough, right? Like I said already, we all have a certain level of capacity. It doesn't matter how great it is, we're still limited in our ability to handle pain and suffering. So we were designed and created to suffer well only in the context of close-knit relationships which are called secure attachments. So it's only through what is called secure attachments, and those are attachments that happen at the base level of your brain, your attachment and bonding center. It doesn't happen with just any relationship. It's special relationships only with people like your parents, close friends, you know, mentors, and then obviously God, right? But only in the context of those secure attachments can you actually stand and become strong. That's how it works. That's how God created you. If you don't have those secure attachments, you won't be able to handle very much without falling apart, right? God made us to run off this idea that we're better together than alone, right? And that starts with him, right? You know, there's problems too. Like, and I, you can have secure attachments with people, obviously, but a very few amount of people in your life. But then obviously with Jesus, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But you might say, okay, so if it's just secure attachments, if that's all I need, do I actually need to be securely attached to God or can I just have a good enough marriage, good enough friends, good enough mentor, and I'll be okay? Well, there's a problem with that, and that is you're limited then by their capacity to endure. Right? So you can connect to them, and they'll, they'll, you'll be stronger together, certainly, but you still limit each other in your own individual capacities. The other, the other problem with that is, what if the person you're attached to is the very cause and source of your distress? Has that ever happened in anyone's marriage? It used to happen in mine. Not anymore. Right? Not since I became perfect. <laughs> Louise is smiling. She didn't even shake her head. Oh, that feels good. Oh, it feels good. Look at that. I feel that love. See, I'm not putting up a wall to that. I'll, I'll receive. I'll give that back too. Okay, anyways. <laughs> Sorry. It's bizarre. Anyways. But, but that's the way it works. What if they're the cause of your distress? And it could just, I mean, it could be because they're, they're hurting you by doing something against you, by rejecting you, saying, you know, disrespecting you, that sort of thing. What if death separates you from the, these human attachments? What if the very person you're attached to is taken from you early? That happens all over in the world. You see, we're limited in our secure attachments to people. We are stronger together, even with them, but we're limited with our attachments to people. And this is really where the Christian pulls way ahead of the unbeliever as it relates to this area of our brain and how we actually are created to function. We can have secure attachment to Jesus. It's not just any normal relationship. 
It's the deepest, most close-knit, intricate, intimate relationship that you can possibly have on this earth. And it actually exists at the foundation of your brain. We can each have that. It can become the foundation upon which you build the rest of your life. That's where we have the edge. That's why, I mean, I mean is, is Jesus big enough to handle anything, everything that we go through? Certainly. Is he the cause of our distress? Certainly not. Will he die or leave us? Never. Which makes him perfect. We have the edge over anybody else in the world. Secure attachment to Jesus helps us suffer well. So if we go back to that chart again, right? So when we're, when we're securely attached to Jesus, and by the way, we all have it to a level, and I'll get to that in just a moment, right? We all have it to a level, but the stronger and more securely you attach yourself to Jesus, and I'll get on to how we do that later on in the message, the stronger we are, the better we are able to handle pain. So if, if you know, I experience something that's at a level 10, that's beyond anything I can handle, what if my spout, what if Louise would die? How would I handle that without shutting down? We know of people in our family right here that have lost kids and spouses that are w- way too early. How do they handle that? So yeah, they handle it. The only, your only hope in handling that kind of suffering and pain is to be securely attached to Jesus. When we're attached to him, we can stand in that. And because we don't shut down, because we don't run, because we don't get angry and bitter, it actually allows us to be able to connect to Jesus and we can love at a very high level, the same level in which we suffer. We're, we're able to then continue loving others. And we see, we've seen examples of that in here in our congregation where, where people just wonder, what is it? Like, how are you just able to show up at church and still show love and smile and worship God? How are you able to love him like that? It's because of secure attachment. That's the only way you can stand in pain. And it's not that this means you don't hurt. Oh, you hurt. Jesus suffered. He hurt. The disciples suffered. They hurt. We suffer. We will hurt. But we don't do it alone. That's what, that's what makes it different. We can stand when we know that we're not standing alone, when I know that I'm standing together. I'm stronger together than alone. And that's really, what, I mean, what is secure attachment? Secure attachment, I talked about, is that bond that's formed at level one of your brain, right? But um, it's the deepest form of relationship that we can have. It's, it's at this level of the brain that we form, form relationships that become the foundation for our emotional capacity, giving and receiving. This is what determines all of that. And it also helps us, you know, gives us the platform from which to grow a personal and group identity. I mean, so much of yourself, your sense of self and who you think you are, is based on who your secure attachments are in this life. And I'll tell you, it doesn't matter how good people are in your life, and you need those attachments. God created us to be together with people, right? Not just together with Him. It's not just us and Him. But people will always fail you. People are weak. Right? We don't, know. we don't know everything. We can't be everywhere all the time. For the Christian who, who puts their life on the foundation of secure attachment with Jesus, we're able to do things that nobody else is able to do. That's why Jesus said our love was supposed to be the supernatural sign that we were his followers, not like the rest of the world. And the rest of the world would know it because just deep down inside we know it's impossible to continue loving when you're hurting like that. That's not normal. We know it's different. That's how God created us. Right? When we have secure attachments, we can receive help when we are in need. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Right? You look at uh, talking about secure attachments. My mom is a great example of this. 
Right? You look at how many years, uh, it was around when I was 10 years old, so that's now 20 years, 22 years. 22 years of suffering with, you know, brain fluid leaking out of her nose. And it, it, it's how many surgeries, 10 surgeries, all of this pain. She lives in constant headaches. You know, she lives in a constant state of pain. And yet, time and time again, people come and they talk to her and they say, Fran, like, you're such an encouragement to us. You've been such an encouragement to us as we've gone through this. You went through all of that pain, and then in the midst of it, you had two kids that were wayward, and somehow you come and you raise your hand in worship. Somehow, you, when you talk to me, you engage and you show me that you love me, even though you should be totally overwhelmed. You've got this huge smile of joy on your face, right? And it demands a supernatural explanation, doesn't it? How do you do that? It's secure attachment with Jesus. It's the only way you do that. You take that away and she'd be just like everybody else, getting bitter and upset. Why do I have to suffer? Why was this assigned to me? Even some believers feel like that. Why do I have to go through this? It's too much for me. Jesus says, no, you don't understand. It's in the darkness that the light shines the brightest. Right? That's how God gets glory. Plus, we grow closer to him in suffering. When I suffer, I don't try to do everything on my own. I, I fall on my knees and I come and I grab Jesus and I say, I need you which then just strengthens the attachment further. There's a beauty in all of this. Right? When we securely attach to Jesus, he enables us to override the parts of our brain that would say fight, flight, or freeze. Those walls of anger and bitterness and offense. He enables us to overcome those things and he gives us the ability. He gives us the ability, not in and of ourselves, but because we are attached to him, he gives us the ability to love through all circumstances. He does that. That's how it works. So, because he is bigger than anything we could ever face, and he is always with us, and that's why we can have this strength in us. So, when we have secure attachments, I just want you to understand, what does secure attachments mean? Like, what does it mean when I have a secure attachment to someone? Well, what it means is this. It means we believe life is better together than alone. So, I'll just give you some of the ideas. Even when we're attached to people or to God, there's a belief system when you have a secure attachment that all of us carry. Okay, and the first thing is you believe, you just intuitively feel life is better together than alone. I teach this to my kids. You could ask them, and I actually model this for them. When we have good times together, I'm always reminding them, right? Kids, what is it? They're like better together than alone. They'll always repeat it, right? You can test them on it. So I do it when we have good times together. We talk about how fun it is to be together rather than being alone. And then even when I discipline them or I have to help them through something difficult, Right? I remind them even then, no, don't run away and be by yourself. Come here. I want to hug you. Let's calm together. Let's quiet together. Right? Life is better together than alone. It's not going to get better going and running off and being by yourself. You see, this kind of, that statement right there, life is better together than alone, is actually what all of us actually need. We often think we ought to fix the problem by solving it. Solving whatever the problem is. Give a solution, right? That's not the most powerful thing we can give. The most powerful thing we can give is actually relational connectedness. That's actually what all of us need. We just need to know that we weren't alone, that we're together. Okay, more on that later. The second part is we are loved unconditionally. That's what we believe. We are loved unconditionally. Not based on what I do, based on who I am. I am me. That doesn't change with my actions. If I make a mistake, that doesn't change my value. It doesn't change the way I'm loved. It also means that we believe he has our best in mind. Right? He has our best interest in mind. He'll do what is best for us, even when it hurts, good or bad. It's what is best for us. We believe it to the core of our being. Right? He will help us in our time of need. We know that he'll help us in our time of need. He is emotionally available to us. 
And lastly, we know that even if we suffer, or I should say, even when we suffer, we know that He is always with us. You can sense that attachment. It's always there. And there you have it. That's what secure attachment looks like, right? And these aren't just words that are played over in your mind. This is something that you just feel, just as naturally as you feel that fight, flight, and fight, or, or freeze response is what you feel when you have secure attachment. Okay? All right, I've got to flip my page here. I'm going to lose myself. Okay, this is what believers know of God when they're securely attached to Him. In my opinion, secure attachment, if you're looking at this list here, it sounds a lot like what we would call faith in the Bible, isn't it? Right? We have faith in God for all of these things, even though we might not be experiencing it in the moment, right? We just know these things are to be true. As we grow in faith, we grow in our belief of all of these things. There's a lot of similarities that you'll find between secure attachment and what the Bible calls faith, right, in the life of a believer, Right? Both in how they start and in how they grow. They grow through experience together. And that's what we'll look at now. How does our secure attachment to Jesus grow? Okay? So we grow secure attachment through our experiences. That's how it's grown with your parents, mentors, friends, whoever you have it with, and with Jesus. It's grown through experience. It's actually not something that you just choose. You don't just say one day, I'm going to be securely attached. Now you have this strength source. It doesn't work that way. It starts there with a choice. It starts with a choice of I want to bond. But that's not how it grows. It grows through experience together, right? If you don't have experiences with God, if you're not spending time with Him and having, you know, adding to those memories of experience, because it's all based on memory, if you're not adding to those memory banks, right, all these time and time and time spent with Jesus over and over and over again, good and bad, you will not be growing in secure attachment. The same is true with your parents. If you don't have parents that are spending time with you when you're younger, if they're not there, you won't have a secure attachment to them. You can't. It's based on experience together, right? And as you have those experiences, one after another, you get hundreds and thousands of those experiences, it forms what's called secure attachment, which is a belief system in those things that I already listed. Okay, it's a belief system that we carry, right? James 1, 2 to 4 says, Count it all a joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it a joy when you meet trials of various kinds. It's hard to understand, right? But then he says, for you know that when you're, the testing of your faith, what is he talking about? Produces steadfastness, endurance. Okay, so if faith is like secure attachment, as we grow in secure attachment, we're able to endure more suffering. Ah, oh, you see it here? You find it right in the scriptures what we're talking about here this morning. Right? That's why it's not a bad thing when we suffer. It's a joy because our faith is being tested. Our, our secure attachment to Jesus is being tested. We have another opportunity to connect to him relationally and find out that he's faithful. And the more we find out that he's faithful in the moment, even when it hurts, the more I know that in the future when I'm suffering that he's going to be faithful and that he's still there with me. It becomes my foundation, the strength for me to continue on. I love that passage. Right? This is why our love is to be the biggest indicator of who is actually following Jesus. Because he created this way. You can't, and, and like, I, I just absolutely love this. Only those who actually have secure attachment with Jesus can actually find that he is a strength source in their time of need. Isn't that fascinating? He made us that way. You can't just fake it. You can't say a prayer and say, I'm a Christian, and then now I have access to all this strength in my, in my hour of trial. It doesn't work. You either have a relationship with him that's growing based on actual experiences together, based on time spent together, time and time and over and over and over again, building all those memories. You either have that with him or you don't. Or you don't. 
Okay? There's no shortcuts to growing in secure attachment or in your faith with Jesus. In Jesus, you can't pray the right prayer for it just to happen. It grows through experience. The more we experience him, the more our attachment to him grows, or we could say the more our faith grows. That's how it works. Right? You know, we can look at Pastor Ray. Pastor Ray and Fran, they're an amazing example of this. I've heard so many people talk about their great faith, and I've been one of them often, right? Because it's mind-blowing. You just look at, wow, like, look at this. The, the faith they have, the trust they have in God always. How do they do that? Right? Like, how do they get to that place where they just have this vibrant faith where God can say, go and do this, and they're willing to put their reputation on the line, put their life on the line. Pastor Ray has shown that many times over, right? Even to the media and that sort of thing. He's willing to put himself out there to stand for Jesus, to stand for truth. We say, I want faith like that. Well, if we want faith like that, we're going to have to follow their example, aren't we? I mean, you talk to him. You know, we started doing this thing at our, at our house on the on Sunday, more, on, uh, Sunday afternoons with the, the entire family where he tells faith stories to all the grandkids to help pass on that faith. Well, he just barely started writing down his stories and he had literally hundreds. There's no shortcut to having faith the size he has, right? Because he has secure attachment. It's a big secure attachment. Why? Because he has walked with Jesus for many, many years, right? Many, many years. There's no shortcut to this. So let's look at some steps that we can have, because I want to do the practicum before we run out of time. Let's look at some steps that we can take to grow in secure attachment. So it's grown by experiencing God, okay? So we can experience God by walking with Jesus in the present. Okay, the first thing I'll say to this is time spent in the Word and prayer. And I'm not going to say a lot on the time spent in Word and prayer. And the reason I won't is because Pastor Ray already delivered that last week in, in that strong, you know, charge he gave all of us, stand strong in the Lord and firm in his mighty power, right? And he talked about how we have to be immersed in the word and in prayer. So that's already there. I'm not going to further explain that. If you missed it, go back and listen to it because he made a very strong case for why we can't stand if we're not spending time in the word and prayer. Okay, he already did that. So you can watch that online. So the second one is we can practice gratitude. So we can walk with Jesus in the present every day by practicing something called gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18 says, Rejoice always, Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstance, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances, good and bad. This is something all of us can do. We have so many things to be thankful for every day, all the time. As I practice being grateful for the relationships God's given me, the job God's given me, the struggles. You know, before I, I uh, started message prep this week, message prep is always hectic for me. I have a, my schedule the last eight weeks, and then now the next coming up four weeks has been pretty crazy. And you know what I was thanking God for? I mean, a year ago, I wouldn't have been able to handle what I'm doing now today. And I was thanking God, thank you for all the pressure. Because you know what I love about the pressure that I'm under? It forces me, I find myself on my knees all the time. And I know what it's doing. It's growing my secure attachment. I feel stronger after I'm done my message prep. I feel stronger after my time spent on my knees. It's happening. It's experience with him, right? So you can be thankful for the hardship in your life and how it draws you closer to God and be thankful for the joys in life. All the things that you enjoy, you can be thankful for those things because he provided all of those as well. Okay, and we can ask Jesus what he wants to do in your family, workplace, or school. So right there, it doesn't say weekly challenge, but see it as a weekly challenge. If you want to take a picture of it, take a picture of it because that is what you should be doing this week. Try it. Walk with Jesus in the present. Practice that right there. Ask him on a daily basis, Jesus, what do you want to do in my family? What do you want to do in my workplace? What are you trying to do in my ministry, school? Ask him those things and then take steps. Walk with him on the adventure of faith. 
You're going to find your secure attachment grows. And what you're going to find then is you're not even seeing how these things are related because you're just having so much fun being with God all the time. And suddenly someone's going to hurt you and you'll find yourself responding in a way that you never did before. You wonder, why am I so different? What changed? Right? Suddenly instead of being upset and saying, you jerk, you're like, oh, you must be hurting. Are you okay? Are you having a bad day? Can I help you in some way? You're showing them love back. And then they soften. You soften. Everything, I mean, things start look, turning differently in your relationships in life. And this is the effect that happens as we grow in secure attachment to Jesus. And the second thing that we can do here is to walk with Him in the present. That's one way we can experience God now. And the other one is we can discover Jesus in our past. Right? You can ask Him where He, you know, you know another powerful way to grow stronger in secure attachment is to look into the past and allow Jesus to show you where He has been in your life in the past. Right? Where has he been? This is a huge way to grow in trusting him and also in faith. You know, I encourage people at the set free, you know, we always want faith to grow in, in the future. One of the greatest ways to actually get faith for, for future steps is to first stop and look at all the things that God has done for you in the past. Right? Because you look at everything he's done in the past and you're like, wow, he's always been faithful. So then logic would dictate if he's always being faithful, chances are he's going to continue being faithful and scripture lines up with that. Right? We look in the past and we find strength to face what we're dealing with today. Okay? So there's two ways that we can experience Jesus in our past. You can ask him where he was in your painful memories. Right? Ask him where he was in your painful memories. We do this at the Set Free Retreat, the inner healing session. Right? We have inner healing we do at the church. You know, it's, it's been here for a long time. What are we doing there? We're saying, Jesus, I was hurting here. I got abused. I was hurt. The world turned against me. I felt all alone. Where were you? And you suddenly find that he was holding you there, and he was actually shielding you from some of it, but some of it got through it. But he was holding you, and he was weeping with you. And suddenly, even though the, the, the circumstance didn't change, you still were hurt. Just knowing that he was together with you makes you feel better. Why is that? Because we were designed to operate with we're better together than alone. When you live that, when you experience that with Jesus, you are stronger because of it. Okay, so we can experience him in our painful memories, and we can also experience Jesus in our good memories right? In our good memories, we can actually look to Jesus. James 1 verse 17 says, every good gift comes to us from God above, okay? So in our good memories, we can, just the same as we go to the painful ones, you can look at all of the things you enjoy in this life, and this is what we're going to practice in just a moment, and you can say, Jesus, where are you in this? Where are you in my hobbies? Where are you in this? You know, I really enjoy coffee. Where are you in all of this when I'm having my time of first cup of coffee in the morning? Where are you in all of this? You say, that's silly. No, it's not. Experience together is how you grow relationships. It's how you grow secure attachment. Right? This is just smart. It's good sense. Right? With every memory that we experience Jesus in the past or memories we create while following him in the present, where we respond to his love, we grow in secure attachment. We're going to do that uh, practicum together now. So if you can grab those sheets out. And it's very simple. It's very simple. So you can just follow along. Just grab a pen. And by the way, this isn't the only way. I give steps here just to make it easy. Same we do with inner healing. It's not that there's only one way to do this. You can do this. You can ask him differently. It doesn't matter. It's not how you ask it. This is just a model so you can go through it. This is an example of how you can experience Jesus in your past. Right? And we're going to do it through good memories. We've already done lots in the painful memories here through inner healing. But now we're going to experience him in a good memory. Okay? So we'll start here. Jesus, I just ask that you would quiet our hearts. Because we want to be still before you. Because our desire is to grow in secure attachment to you. We want to know you more. 
God, we want all of those things. We want to feel your presence. We want to know that we are loved unconditionally. We want to know of your faithfulness. We don't just want it to be an idea anymore. Psalms 100 verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. I want you to think, each of you right here, I want you to think of something in nature that you are thankful for. Nature is a great place to experience God because it's so wonderful and wondrous. It's kind of hard to miss him there, isn't it? That might be mountains, sunsets, sunrise. What is it in nature that you're thankful for? And I want you just to write down a memory where you experience that. Just briefly in that first section there. as you just focus on that memory or whatever it is in nature that you're thankful for you're picturing that there just I want you to think about how does it how did it make you feel when you experienced that did it make you feel awe wonder did it just calm you down was there something just peaceful and serene did you feel joyful connection to God What, what was it what did you feel there you just write down that part and the second part there. Right now we're just going to experience Jesus in our past. You know, this is something that we can do with him that you can't do with any other relationship that you have on this earth. Nobody else can you go into a previous memory, something that's already been done, and can you, you know, where you can change that experience. That's something that only happens with Jesus. In John 10, 27, he said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus, you are with us. You are the good shepherd. You have always been with us. You are with us now. I ask that you would show each person where you were in that memory. Where are you in that nature? Where are you in what we were appreciating? You just write that down in the third space there.
And lastly, Jesus, I ask that you would speak to each person here. You are good to us. I ask that you would just share with us whatever it is that you want us to know about what you were doing there and what was happening and how you see us. Jesus, as we leave here, just ask that your Holy Spirit would fill each person. God, I know there's so much brokenness all the time that we've experienced, and often in the brokenness, we have these walls that have been up for so many years, we don't even know how to begin to take them down. God, I pray that you would allow us to experience your love, because experience with, experiences with you, they transform us from the inside out. I ask that you would Help us become the people that you are calling us to be at Southland Church. That we would be a people that you would be proud to come back for. In Jesus' name, amen.